What Happened When Monday is brought to you by 1FMC.com. When you're getting ready to buy your next house, why not deal with somebody you know? Me, Conrad Thompson and First Family Mortgage. We're happy to hook you up. If you're already a homeowner, well, we can get you a better deal on your current home. If you're in a 30-year loan, what are you waiting for? You're overpaying your single biggest bill, and you may not even realize it. Maybe you've got some debt you'd like to get rid of, a second mortgage, some credit cards. Wouldn't it be nice to get rid of a car payment? We can even show you how to skip your next two house payments. But maybe best of all, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. If we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. Call the number one best in business. Call First Family Mortgage right now at 888-425-0105. Check us out online and get a quick quote right now at 1FMC.com. Although I'm here in Huntsville, we're licensed in 21 states. I'd be happy to help you save some money. And if you've got any questions, message me directly on Twitter at Hey Hey It's Con. Conrad, NMLS number 65084. This is the MLW Radio Network. Welcome to WHW Monday. Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson talking about the great years of world championship wrestling, the NWA, and Jim Crockett promotions. And now let's go to the ring. Here's your co-host. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When with the Master of Ceremonies, Mr. Tony Schiavone. Tony, what's going on, man? How are you? Hello, my good friend, Conrad Thompson, and hello, slapdicks all around the world. Good to be talking to you once again. Very excited about bringing to you another edition of What Happened When with Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson. Let me say the new graphics on uh, MLW Radio says... Uh, what happened when with Tony Schiavone, but it should be with Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson. But anytime we try to give Conrad some props, he denies. He turns us down. So there you go. Well, because here's the deal, man. People are tuning in to hear you. I'm just a slapdick tag along. Don't. But, uh, uh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to say bullshit right off the, the bat. Bullshit. People tune in to hear you, too. As much as you'd like to deny it, you're... Uh, your years with doing this with Bruce and with the Nature Boy Ric Flair, and now with me, have made you a star too. So you want to say you want to? I know you want to stay in the background. Bullshit. Well, uh, I know there's something hanging around in the background this week you don't want to talk about, but I ain't scared of shit. Let's just do it. So Medusa is tweeting about Tony Schiavone and things that may or may not have happened, and I'm sharing screenshots with the whole world that are supposed to be private. I need to know. How am I doing on this Lois Shivani World Tour 2017? Yeah, what, what what you're trying to do is, uh, what you're trying to do is uh, fuck up my marriage. Well, uh, I, that's been done long before you knew me. No, no, it hasn't. We've been married. We'll be have been married 36 years coming up in June. So you haven't done that. Uh, again, my marriage survived because I knew how to fucking kayfabe, and all, most of the boys did not know how to. <laughs> Well, uh, now Twitter. And here we go. It. Now Lois is uh, prolific online. She's got a Twitter. She's got. Uh, and but I do need to tell all the slapdicks that Lois ain't gonna follow you because she's really not interested in that stuff. Unless, of course, you start sending pictures of uh, of me with Deborah and start retweeting the stuff by Medusa, then she'll perk up and listen. But she knows that I'm just a. I've, and I've always been kind of a little fat, dumbass Italian guy with a. A Vienna sausage dick that <laughs> nobody wanted to have sex with. Uh, so uh, I love Medusa. Medusa and I have been longtime friends. Medusa and I, 
when we were on the road, we went to dinner together, went to movies together, hung oh. out. And it, and it goes back. I see. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that got your eyebrows up in the air, didn't it? Mm. Uh, uh, we were just very good friends. And uh, it's like I told you in an uh, earlier segment, I've been, always been friends with females. And it's not that I was trying to hit on girls. And it's not a Tony Schiavone is a gay thing, which you're trying to also present out there with this Tom Dink, Zink stuff. It's just the fact of I just and I love Medusa. Absolutely loved her. And I send her a tweet and I said, I love those. Uh, I love or send her a text. I said, I love those tweets. Uh, and she just sent me a smiley face and nothing happened between Medusa and I, with the exception of we have been always been very close friends. And let me say this. I think I, I saw her at uh, WrestleCon. She looked great. Absolutely looked great. It was great seeing her. Now, any other shit you'd like to start here? Co-master of ceremonies. No, I'm just wanting to make sure that, you know, we're uh, telling the story fairly and accurately. Yeah, telling the story as you see it. That's okay. My marriage will survive. Um, Despite your attempts. No, I'm not trying to break you guys up. I mean, Lord knows if WCW didn't do it, what fucking chance do I have? Uh, but you do have a chance to see Tony Schiavone live and in person. It looks like you've got a big appearance coming up in June, uh, June 10th, 2017 at the crown Plaza hotel in Monroe, New Jersey. The doors are going to open at eight 30. And what are they opening for legends of the ring pro wrestling fan fest? Your headliners for that event are, uh, Christian and edge. So edge and Christian, Adam Copeland, Jay Resso. You'll be able to see those guys, Jack Swagger, Beth Phoenix, the Boogeyman, Nydia, Ivan Putsky, Rockin' Robin, Alberto Del Rio, Jerry the King Lawler, Ronnie Garvin, Teddy Long, Jake Roberts, Tugboat slash Typhoon slash Shockmaster, Howard Finkel, Black Bart, Barry Orton, Little Guido, Tracy Smothers, Gail Kim, Corey Graves, Warlord, and more. But most importantly, who's going to be there? I'm going to be there. Come on. Saturday, June 10th for three hours. I'm pretty excited about this. This was uh, not something you were doing with a lot of regularity, but now Tony is all the way back in, and you should be too. If you live in the Northeast, you ought to go check Tony out. It's June 10th at the Crown Plaza Hotel right there in Monroe, New Jersey. You can pick up your tickets right now at legendsofthering.com. That's legendsofthering.com. Tony would love to see you. He doesn't do these very often. But he did one over WrestleMania weekend, and he looks forward to seeing you on June 10th in Monroe, New Jersey. Out of uh, all the people who are going to be here, are you most excited to see Nydia, Rockin' Robin, Beth Phoenix, Gail Kim? You know, where are we coming down? Or is it Abdullah the Butcher? You can tell the truth. Well, I, I, uh, I can't wait to see Jerry the King Lawler again. Uh, and the Fink, Howard Finkel, haven't seen him in quite a while. Boy, the three uh, of you Garvin's going to be there, I understand. Haven't seen Ronnie uh, in, in quite a while. Teddy Long, I haven't had a chance to talk to Teddy since he was inducted, uh, very deservedly so, in the WWE Hall of Fame. So there's a lot that I'm looking forward to seeing. I know you threw the women out there at, at the front trying to entrap me again, uh, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing all those. And this is my second Legends of the Ring. I did one about four years ago. Uh, when they had it in October, and it was during a bye week for the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, go dogs, by the way. And uh, I, uh, so I look forward to, to going back. And also, coming soon, uh, in the summer, later in the summer in August, I'll be in Philadelphia. That is, uh, the details have not been worked out for that. But coming up here very soon in June, that is going to be June 10th on a Saturday. Doors open at 830. 
I'll be part of the legends of the ring. Look forward to seeing those those guys who promoted the event uh, last time. Good guys. It's a, it's a good event. Well, and we're looking forward to today being a good event. We're going to color, cover Halloween Havoc 1993. Uh, this came right down to the wire. A lot of people, myself included, thought that maybe after covering Halloween Havoc 90 and then Halloween Havoc 92, that maybe people would have a flavor for Super Brawl. And Super Brawl 3 almost won, but in the end, Halloween Havoc 93 got the nod. Uh, so coming up, we're going to cover Halloween Havoc 93. But before we do... Let's talk about last week's show, Halloween Havoc 1992. Spin the wheel, make the deal. We did something a little different, Tony. We had you call the match between Jake the Snake Roberts and Sting. What was the feedback you got from our little social experiment last week? Uh, The feedback was tremendous. Uh, Everyone, not everyone out there, but most out there loved it. And uh, uh, even thought uh, a lot of the feedback that I saw on social media was that we wish Shimani would have done this back when it really happened. <laughs> I would have lasted one pay-per-view with that. But, you know, it's it's something that I've always thought about, not only with, uh, with wrestling, but with sports in general. Yeah. I've always thought that sports, let's say a, a football game or a basketball game, and, and, of course, wrestling at the forefront, on a pay-per-view – where you can probably say anything you want, unless you're working for Turner Broadcasting and they have, uh, you know, they have the asshole about that big, uh, should be able to just say whatever they want to say. It uh, Howard Stern it up. I think I think people would like that. There would be a lot of people out there that would be quote unquote offended, but those people don't matter anyway, and they know they don't matter. Uh, those are the people that don't go to comedy clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are the people that uh, have no uh, humor in their life. Uh, I always thought that that would be a good idea to do that uh, in any sporting event. That would never take hold, I understand. I do realize that. But I always thought it was kind of neat to do it. So I was excited about doing it, and, and the feedback was great. I think you would agree, uh, Conrad. Uh, I think we hit on something there. And we're going to do it again today. Uh, the match we're going to cover today is not going to be the phenomenal main event that we're going to heat praise on in a few minutes while Vader and Cactus Jack. We are going to do it for the open of the show, which is uh, pretty iconic, as well as the Nasty Boys tag team match against Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Two Cold Scorpio. If you watched that pay-per-view this week, you probably have an idea why we picked that one. Uh, But before we do any of the silliness, let's talk about the event itself. Halloween Havoc 1993. In the Observer, this got overwhelming thumbs up. Uh, 70% with a thumbs up as far as the way the uh, fans voted in the poll. Thumbs down only got 18.7%. Thumbs in the middle, 11.3%. Tony, you watched this show probably for the first time since you saw it live this week. What did you think of the event? Where did you fall with it? I thought it was two big thumbs up. I agree with the Cactus Jack and Vader match, one of the, one of the great matches. Uh, and a match that, here's how good that was. I remember it even before I watched it again. And we've, we did so many matches again that sometimes they kind of get lost in the, in the shuffle. But I remember that one. I thought Flair and Rude was very, very good. I thought uh, Lord Steven Regal uh, and the British Bulldog for 15 minutes before uh, God rest his soul, the British Bulldog blew up, uh, was a tremendous match because, to me, uh, Lord Stephen Regal is still one of my uh, top ten performers, maybe top five five performers in the ring. Uh, 
Uh, and uh, I thought Two Cold Scorpio and Marcus Bagwell uh, had a very entertaining match as well. Uh, so a lot of good title matches. And, of course, uh, the, the Texas death match was, was phenomenal. It, it really, really was. So I'm curious, uh, after seeing a series of these Halloween Havoc shows take place in Philadelphia, this one comes to us from New Orleans. Do you remember what the thinking was as far as moving it out of the Northeast, where you had had strong crowds, and now coming here to New Orleans, you guys uh, have 6,000 there, but uh, Dave Meltzer would report that there was roughly half of that paid. Um, what say you? Why would this make more sense in New Orleans than it would Philadelphia? I say it made more sense in New Orleans because it made sense to take Halloween Havoc, which was one of our top events, and send it around the country. You can't put a price tag on, I think, saying that we're from Philadelphia one year, New Orleans the next. Right. Maybe some other. Just It makes us seem like a a company that is nationwide instead of a company that's just locked into a couple venues. I think that's important. And not uh, being a person that was uh, dealing with arena people, I'm, I have a feeling the UNO arena, uh, which looked good on TV, I thought. Yeah. Uh, looked great on TV. Uh, gave us a pretty good deal in one of this there. Um, chat me up about the spin the wheel, make the deal concept. Do you remember, I don't know that we touched on this too much, Last week, whose idea was this spin the wheel, make the deal concept? That was Dusty's idea. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, the match last week that we covered at Halloween Havoc 92 was what it was with a coal miner's glove. Right. But it seems like coming out of there, it wasn't very well received by the fans. What did the office think of the way spin the wheel, make the deal was pulled off? Did they think that the concept was a winner clearly they had to they brought it back the next week it was yeah, just a did. miss in the in the way that you know they they chose the coal miners glove well here it wasn't well received how was it not well received by the people who read the observer was that it hang on hang the people on, who hang read on, the dirt hang sheets on, hang on hang on are you gonna really sit here and defend that coal miners glove is the match that no, should have had. No, no, no. I'm, no, I'm f- trying to defend the concept of spin the wheel, make the deal. Oh, I love the concept. I'm just saying. And you say it was kind of lukewarm with the fans, right? Not the concept, but the fucking match seemed like it was a miss. Are you going to say that was a barn burner last week? No, it was not a barn burner. It was a miss. And it was, and as we were reminded on social media, it came up coal miners glove match because that's what they had done in the old uh, days with Bill Watts. Right. Uh, and Bill Watts was running the show back then. Uh, it made no sense at all, uh, with the exception of loving the two performers who were in the match. Uh, it didn't come off too well. Well, it's but back. the spin the wheel, make the deal is a pretty good concept. And look, look, it, it's something different. I, oh, no, I, I totally agree. I'm not knocking it. I enjoy spin the wheel, make the deal. And I think, you know, I, I think that match that we covered last week could have been a lot better if it was a different format. Uh, but the silly finish is what I still come away thinking about with the snake pretending to bite Jake. That was just a miss. But Yeah, that uh, was a miss. This this year, wow, spin the wheel, make the deal in the main event is hard to beat. Uh, it actually wins the best match poll, according to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Overwhelmingly, people loved Vader Cactus Jack. 
The worst match poll was Harlem Heat and Equalizer against uh, Train, Norris, and Shockmaster. And uh, Dave opens up the Observer when he recaps this pay-per-view by saying, question, how is it impossible to put together a show where from bell to bell the match quality is the highest of any pay-per-view since February and is topped off by arguably the best match bell to bell of the year in the country and still it only have a marginal thumbs up? The answer... Have Dusty Rhodes book the finishes. Yeah. Match quality was very good. The main event was incredible, but had the worst finish of all. Dave continues, I love the show because I thought seven of the eight matches were good, which is more than any pay-per-view from either the WWF or WCW in a long time. The work in the main event deserves all the superlatives it's been receiving, but one can't argue with any of the complaints by those who didn't like the show. When you do unrealistic screw job finishes in every match, then none of them are going to work except in turning fans off from repeat business. He also says the Vader cactus Jack main event exemplified what is beginning to turn into a dangerous trend in this business, not disturbing to fans because many fans love matches such as this. It's disturbing because the element of risk and injury is being flirted with too much, too closely when matches get as stiff and legitimately brutal as this and other recent matches have turned out to be. I'm curious, Tony, you know, when we're talking about the way the brutality kind of turns up here, is that in your opinion, uh, does that start with Vader coming in and, and really working a different style, maybe a more strong style, a Japanese style where he's legitimately hitting people or is it cactus Jack taking the big elbow to the concrete or a combination of both? It's a combination of both, and a lot of it has to do with using chairs, using tables, cactus making those incredible bumps and doing things. So it's a combination of both, and I agree with the statement. I think that, and we have seen this now on into this era right now where where guys do not have the longevity that the, that the old school guys did because these guys have to do incredible bumps through chairs and tables and off the top of cages and whatever – to try to uh, do something different, to be unique, and get the big pop, when the essence of wrestling was not necessarily those big bumps. Yeah, the whole concept of wrestling is it's supposed to look like it hurts, but not actually hurt, am I right? Right. And uh, they don't really do that in the main event. Uh, Vader and Cactus both got blood in this match, and Cactus, it appears, to be busted open hard way. Wouldn't it have been a smarter choice just to go with a razor, Tony? It's always a smarter choice to go with the razor. As Bobby Heenan once told a bunch, bunch of guys, he said, you know, make it look like it hurts. Don't make it hurt because they can only see it. They can't feel it. Only you can feel it. And you're so gonna... it would always been smarter with a razor. Uh, that, uh, that blood that Cactus got was probably a combination of both. Hardway and razor. Well, it certainly would have been a smarter choice to go with dollarshaveclub.com. Listen up, slapdicks. Here's why dollarshaveclub.com is the smarter choice. You see, you get a great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door. That's exactly right. It's so easy, even Conrad can do it. Now Conrad doesn't have to take his fat ass down to the store to buy that cheap disposable razor that gives you that cheap, scratchy shave or spend a fortune with razors and gimmicky shaving tech that you didn't need. When I use my executive razor there with Dr. Carver's shave butter, and I love that shave butter, by the way. Love my shave butter. 
The blade just gently glides, giving me such a smooth shape. Smoother than my dreams of Medusa and death. (laughs) Dr. Carver Shave Butter is transparent for a more precise shave. It'll help prevent the ingrown hairs and fight razor bumps. I wonder how old Klondike Bill felt about razor bumps, Tony. He didn't give a damn about razor bumps. He just went right through them and loved them and laughed. (laughs) Well, now you don't have to do that. You can make a smarter choice by joining the Dollar Shave Club. Absolutely. For a limited time, new members get their first month of the Executive Razor with a tube of their Dr. Carver Shave Butter for only $5 with free shipping. Let me say something about this Executive Razor. This thing is awesome. Absolutely awesome. When I opened up my package and I, and I first uh, became a member of the Shave Club, I opened up the package and thought, man, this is not what I expected. This is a, a tremendous razor. So you can get that Executive Razor, a tube of the Shave Butter, which I, by the way, I love that Shave Butter, for only $5 with free shipping. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. In your first month box, you get an awesome weighted handle, full cassette of four cartridges, and a tube of their Shave Butter. After your first month, replacement cartridges will ship automatically at the regular price. No hidden fees, no commitments, and that's so important. No hidden fees, no commitments. Cancel anytime you like. Just join the Dollar Shave Club today at dollarshaveclub.com slash Tony. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash Tony, and you will be part of the great shave that is the Dollar Shave Club. And also, uh, I want to mention this, Conrad. Uh, when you go on their Dollar Shave Club website, you can also get the One Wipe Charlies. Now, this is good for someone like you that because these are diaper wipes made for men. Oh, I love those. I uh, love those. Uh, but here's what are great about the One Wipe Charlies. And I know we all, uh, you're, you're in your 30s. I'm not. And the older you get, <laughs> the older you get, sometimes you have accidents. Mm. You'll find out one day. Mm. Uh, but uh, but uh, these butt wipes are wonderful. And what makes the one uh, wipe Charlie's great is that minty tingle that gets in your butt that lets <laughs> you know that you're clean. So when you go to Dollar Shave Club, make sure you get your butt wipes as well. These are called one wipe Charlie's. Let me ask Ooh. you. Um... I feel like one wipe Charlie could have been a tag team partner with Klondike Bill. <laughs> he may have been <laughs> up in Calgary. <laughs> it just sounds like a formidable tag team. I, I'm curious too. When you say, as you get older, accidents happen. When you saw these tweets from Medusa, were you happy that you had those minty one wipe Charlies in your back pocket? Yes, yes, I would have. I would have. If if uh, when Medusa hugged me at WrestleCon, I would have needed the I. Came close to needing those anyway. So from the front or the back? Uh, the back. Okay, cool. What, right. what are you trying to say? I know what you're trying to say about the front. No, I didn't say anything. I was just asking a question. <laughs> I just know, want to get the full story out there. That's all. I know. You know what happens? You and Bruce Pritchard and Court Bauer, you all get together before we do this and you say, "We are really going to lead Tony down these paths and fuck this guy up." <laughs> Hey, you know what? Uh, that was a fun uh, commercial for uh, Dollar Shave Club, but I have legitimately been using this for quite a while. Uh, I dig it a lot. And yeah. uh, one of my favorite things I've heard one of our pro wrestling brethren talk about is the shave butter. And Jim Cornette has, wow, 
He is a wordsmith when it comes to describing Dr. Carver's shave butter. Are you familiar with the way he describes it? I'm not. Slicker than cum on a gold tooth. If that's not a Jim Cornettism, I don't know what is. That is tremendous. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna forget that anytime soon. So Halloween havoc. Let's get back to it. We're at the University of New Orleans Lakefront Arena. Uh, as we said earlier, the show only draws about six thousand fans. They had the building set up for eighty five hundred. Only half of that six thousand actually paid. Uh, so even though the gate is much smaller than what they had been drawing on previous pay-per-views, including the most recent fall brawl over in Houston. The crowd is pretty lively. And why wouldn't they be? Look at this match we're starting off with. Ice Train, the Shockmaster, and Charlie Norris are going to take on Harlem Heat and the Equalizer. Uh, who's your favorite wrestler in this situation right here, Tony? Uh, in this situation right here would have been uh, Stevie Ray. Okay, I didn't expect you to give me a little. I know you didn't. Answer. Stevie Ray and I were pretty good buddies. I miss talking to him. He was. Do you know that Stevie Ray was a gigantic Dale Earnhardt NASCAR fan? I would have never in a million years guessed that you were about to say that. No. Yeah, I, that, and I used to give him a hard time because I was a Richard Petty fan uh, growing up, and of course, what made it odd was, and now as we've gone along here in the years, is that NASCAR is not too is not as popular that, as it used to be. You probably know that, and. Uh, there weren't any that I knew of NASCAR fans in wrestling except <laughs> Stevie Ray. And, you know, he uh, he also did some matches with me. He did I think he and I did Worldwide uh, later on down the road. He was always one of my favorite guys. Really liked him. Good guy. Funny. Always. He could take a joke. I love people who can take a joke. Uh, and I would always give him shit about Dale Earnhardt. And uh, so he's my favorite one there. But I here's, and you know what I, th- I thought about this event? Uh, here is uh, here's Eric Bischoff dressed up like a uh, Confederate soldier. How great is that? Yeah. And here is Charlie Norris dressed up like a dancing Indian. How politically incorrect can you be to start out an event? Well, you know. Jeez. It's, uh, it's pretty fun that uh, Bischoff, who has long said that he kind of felt like WCW had a southern stain you know, and, and he wanted to get it out of the South and not make it so much of a regional promotion and make it a more national promotion is dressed as a Confederate soldier. And you're of yeah. course here, uh, you left your lipstick at home and you dressed as Jesse, the body Ventura. Whose idea would that have been? Was it something you wanted to do as a rib or was this something that everybody thought would just be fun for TV? No, it was my idea to do it as a rib. Uh, and I think I, I, I liked it. After looking at it again, I thought we uh, I thought we pulled it off. And of course, Jesse did a great job of selling it well. Jesse was so easy to work with. My God, was he easy to work with. Uh, one of the things I, I thought was kind of fun that I didn't remember from the show originally, but when I watched it back this week, Jesse referred to himself because he's wearing like a, a doctor smock or whatever that <laughs> uh, like, like a lab coat situation. He says that. He's a, he's the busiest gynecologist on Bourbon Street, or something to that effect. Is that is that something he gets approved, or is he just asking forgiveness rather than permission? And Jesse always asks forgiveness, always. <laughs> no one ever no as as long as I've known, and, and, and Bobby Heenan was the same way. As long as I've known, uh, Bobby Heenan and Jesse Ventura, especially Jesse, would just do their own thing and ask forgiveness later. And I don't think Jesse ever had to ask forgiveness. I think they love what he did. 
You know, let's face it, Jesse Ventura, when Saturday Night's main event started, became a uh, a cult hero. Sure. And it was a big deal for us to have him. It was a big deal for me to work with him. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, other guys in the match. Of course, everybody knows the Shockmaster. Everybody's uh, really looking forward to us talking about him. Uh, can you tell us anything about Ice Train, any memories of working with him? Uh, just a great, great kid. I thought he was put into a pretty tough situation because of uh, his lack of being able to work. But he was, he was a good guy, good kid, uh, and always was very respectful for the business. Somebody like that, uh, we, ha- we always had a lot of time for. Is he, uh, how popular was he with the Nitro girls? Uh, I, I, what's <laughs> he? I, I, uh, there weren't any Nitro girls there in, in 93 or 90, were no, there? Nice way to pivot there. Uh, okay. Char- Charlie Johnson is also uh, on the squad here and he's somebody that I didn't really remember that much about, uh, but he's here and, uh, he is in the six man tag. He's billed as being six foot, seven inches tall. And from the red Lake Indian reservation, he was trained by Eddie Sharkey, got started in the business in 89 and then retired in 96. Tell me all about your, fa- your favorite Charlie Norris match. Uh, I don't have any favorite Charlie Norris matches because I don't remember that much about him to be honest with you. So I- I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry to the fans out there that says Shivani can't remember anything. Bull fucking shit, I can't. Some guys I can't remember. I can't remember everybody. Charlie Norris, I don't remember that much. Is there something about him I should remember? No, he's just rather forgettable. Was he popular with the Nitro Girls? I I don't recall. I don't think anybody was as popular as Ice Train, but that's just me freestyling a guess. Wow. Uh, What are you trying to say about Ice Train? I'm not trying to say what you say about Tom Zink. I'll tell you that. Okay. Uh, The Equalizer. I had to do a double take because I thought, is that Dave Sullivan? I didn't remember him working the equalizer gimmick. Of course it is. Uh, he was trained by Lynn Denton. Uh, he's a big boy. You probably remember him more as Dave Sullivan than you do the equalizer. Uh, do you remember uh, anything about his run as the equalizer you could share? I think, uh, yeah, I think the equalizer uh, didn't work for him uh, because uh, he just didn't come across as a real even though he was a big guy, didn't come across as a real brutal, tough guy that should have had that equalizer name. I think he made it much better as Dave Sullivan because he legitimately was one of the most, one of the friendliest guys ever. Everybody loved him. He, uh, he won worst wrestler of the year award in the wrestling observer newsletter awards in 93 and 94 and won the worst gimmick in 1994 uh, but by all accounts, a pretty good dude. Yes, um, a very good dude. Also in the match, we see Cole and Kane that many people probably don't remember were Stevie Ray and Booker T. And man, how young does Booker T look in this? Of course he should. It's 24 years ago. I'm just saying, wow, Booker T has a baby face here. Yeah, and it just you're right, just a kid. You know, when I first saw uh, Harlem Heat, we were at, uh, and Jesse Ventura was with me. We were at the center stage, and they brought Harlem Heat in with Colonel Robert Parker, and they brought him in in the uh, uh, prison gimmicks with, like, the, the denim tops on. Didn't they have chains? And they had chains. And I remember <laughs> I remember Jesse Ventura saying to me uh, during the break, he said, Shivani, am I, and I don't get offended easily, but I'm the only one offended by this plantation owner bringing in these two black guys in chains. 
And I said, my God, what are they thinking about here? I mean, even back then, we knew it was wrong, and they changed it quickly. But I, I don't know how in the world we let that go on TV. I mean, it really is something when you consider that this is a company who was known for their standards and practices department. And now we've got black dudes out here in chains with the plantation yeah. owner. He looks like Colonel Sanders. I mean, what the Yeah, they, they got rid of that quickly. I don't know how quickly they got rid of it, but that was uh, – once again, that goes back to – WCW just uh, not having good communication skills within the backstage area. That's all that. And, and of course, as we went along, they became Harlem Heat. They, they, you know, they changed their gimmick up, rightfully so. They became a great tag team. And, of course, we know what Booker T has become in his wrestling career, one of the greats. So, uh, so thank goodness we got through that without being shut down. We're going to talk about Shockmaster a great deal at another point, but – uh, behind the scenes, uh, Fred was always a guy who was very well respected by his peers and seemingly got along with everybody. And yeah. this was just, uh, you know, yeah, a mess. I know. Is that fair? I to mean, say? what do you what do you do after he falls through the the wall? I mean, yeah. what do you do? And, and Dusty, I think I remember Dusty trying to make him Uncle Fred and make him a goofball and do the best. Let me say this though, and, and this probably. Maybe it worked to a certain extent, but if you watch that match again, he had the biggest pop. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So the the fans kind of maybe not on a big-time main event scale, but the fans kind of bought into that goofball character that he started to portray. Because they – I mean, that to me, that big pop that he got means that they, 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 they saw him fall through the wall <laughs> as, as the British Bulldog said during that, uh, that flair segment. He fell on his arse. Uh, and uh, – <laughs> I can't wait. And for then, us they, to... you know, the Uncle Fred was blowing up the balloon and the powder all over him and everything. So they were into it. He got a great pop. Uh, catch everybody up. Of uh, And I know most people listening will know this, but what was the relationship like in real life with Dusty and Fred? Uh, they were uh, they were in-laws. There you go. Yeah. I didn't think a lot of people maybe knew that. I mean, I know most do, but I, I still think a lot of people – are out of the loop that, uh, you know, family. Yeah. Right. And, uh, Cody Rhodes uncle is the shock master. So there you go. Right. How's that? Right. Right. Uh, so here's the deal. This match goes nine minutes and 45 seconds. Yeah. Uh, is another one of his uncles, Jerry, uh, Jerry Sags. That's right. How about that for a crazy family? I mean, can you imagine the family unions when you've got uh tugboat slash the shock master with the, yeah. uh, American dream, uh, stardust gold dust, and one half of the Nasty Boys. Right. And by the way. All those guys married into a great family. Michelle Runnels is uh, one of our favorites of all time. Fine lady. Uh, and so uh, they all married into a very, very good family. No doubt about it. Uh, super class. Nine yeah. minutes, 45 seconds. Eventually, Shockmaster pins uh, one of the members of the Harlem Heat. Uh, and he does this after... Uh, having a bear hug and then falling into a power slam type move is the way Meltzer describes it. And he says, for the second pay-per-view in a row, the other member of the Harlem Heat was standing right there in front of the finish trying to figure out how to not break up the bear hug with no baby face keeping him from doing so. Much was fine, actually much better than it looked to be on paper, but it looked scary on paper, except when Equalizer was in. Post-match brawl with Shockmaster and Equalizer was awful. One star. Overall, I kind of agree with the uh, consensus here. This was the worst match on the card. Wouldn't you agree? 
Yeah, it was. One star is about right. But, you know, you can't have every home run. No. You, you can't. I mean, you absolutely cannot, especially with a bunch of guys who are, as we used to say in the business, and I guess they still do, green. You had green guys out there trying to trying to work, and the, and that's what you got. You got basically kind of a kind of a clusterfuck. You know, Booker T was not uh, the Booker T that became one of the great stars as of yet. Uh, Dave Sullivan was not a great worker. Ice Train was young into the business. Stevie Ray was not uh, as Stevie could talk and loved him. Had a great look. He wasn't one of the great workers in the world. When you got all those six guys together, that's what you're going to get. And it's easy for Dave Meltzer to, to shit on these guys because, hey, it's funny. But uh, I agree with the one star. Well, we're not shitting on the Shockmaster. We're going to have a lot of fun with that in the future. And uh, it was funny. But I don't know if there's anything funnier than our brand new Blockmaster t-shirt over at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. Tony, what's your uh, favorite shirt over at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW? I love the Shockmaster Blockmaster shirt. Always love that. I've got a couple of friends. Uh, I'd like to say hello to Matt Chazanow, the uh, the play-by-play broadcaster of Washington State and the Cougars. He ordered a Shivani shirt, uh, and I appreciate that. I couldn't believe it. He sent me a picture of it and went, holy shit, you got one. Good job, Matty. Uh, and uh, that's uh, that blue shirt, which I wore during, uh, uh, during the WrestleCon, is one of my favorite shirts. I know you like the belt. The black with the belt uh, sideways and the uh, the air guitar shirt. Yeah. But you know what's becoming very popular in the Shimani family? What's that? Lois Rules. Really? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. My daughter said we should order uh, we should order them and everybody should wear it on Mother's Day. Oh, I love that. That's great. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? And I even had someone order it and uh, it say because his wife is named Lois, too, so he ordered one. So I appreciate that. So, you know, that's the old Hulk rules shirt. It says Lois rules. Uh, Lois has never been enshrined in anything except now a T-shirt based on the shit that she gives her husband, which happens on a daily basis. Uh, Also, I want to mention the Klondike shirt uh, has been very, very popular. And in making my phone calls uh, to thank people, and I'm behind on these calls. I'm sorry. uh, Baseball season has started. Making, I do make a phone call. If you buy a shirt, order a shirt, uh, I make a phone call. Get your get your number because it's part of when you order it. And I call and thank you for listening to our podcast and getting the shirt. I made a call to uh, a young man named Christopher in Charlotte, North Carolina, just this past week. And I'll be damned if Christopher is not the little Christopher that I remember running around the ballpark. It's more than, more than that, running around uh, – the events earlier in the day that is the grandson of Klondike Bill Solowico. Oh my gosh. Is this real? This is a shoot. I picked it. He said, I'm Christopher. I don't know if you remember me, but I'm Klondike Bill's grandson. And I went, Oh hell yeah. I remember you, Christopher. And I said, you guys are not mad at me. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> he said, no, he said, I absolutely love it. He said his grandmother died in, I think, about 2005. Uh, and he says uh, he was uh, he's the son of uh, Klondike's daughter. And I said, I hope she doesn't listen to this. He said she doesn't, but I tell her all about it. And she just laughs, nods. And so uh, we've not offended the family. Uh, we have immortalized Klondike Bill, rightfully so. Christopher, Klondike Bill's grandson, has a Klondike shirt. 
How great is that? Picture that for a second. <laughs> That's right. So you can be a part of all that by going to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. Now, remember, that forward slash WHW, that's where you're going to find all those shirts like Lois Rules, The Blockmaster, uh, uh, Conrad Gives Tony Too Much Shit. Is that a shirt yet? It should be, but it's it not It should yet. be. And, of course, you can get the Lois Rules shirt. That's at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. Christopher, I know you're listening. We appreciate it. Your grandfather truly one of the great men in wrestling and christopher should know this because there's never anyone that's talked badly about klondike bill no even on this show you know we're having a lot of fun but uh it's all uh good humored stuff good natured stuff everybody has a lot of respect for all the work that klondike bill did and his contributions to the business but we don't respect tony Schiavone, which is why this show apparently not yeah uh the the next match on the card for halloween you know what Medusa does. Mm. Deborah McMichael does. I think they. I think they. They like you because they feel like your button on a fur coat is very non-threatening. You're exactly right. I mean, I have to agree with that. I have to agree with that, you turd. You know how, like, when you're you uh, you're talking to a baby or a dog, and everybody does this, and you don't know why, but you use like this different voice. You're like, you want to go outside? Yeah. You know, right. Who, who's a big boy? I feel like they would use that. When they were talking to your button on a fur coat. <laughs> Look at him. Isn't he cute? I just want to pet him and love him and hug him. He's so sweet. He's if not, I could, he's if not I gonna could hurt find nobody. him. He's not going to hurt nobody, is he? He's a good boy. He's a good <laughs> boy. <laughs> what the fuck are we doing with our lives, Tony Schiavone? <laughs> this is a wrestling podcast. What are we doing? Aren't we talking wrestling? Well, let's get to it. Paul Orndorff okay. is in the next match, and he's taking on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Orndorff is filling in for Yoshi Kwan, who blew out his knee about a week and a half prior to the match. And uh, Orndorff and Steamboat go about 18 and a half minutes, but it ends in a countout uh, when Steamboat is counted out after the assassin, who for some reason is Paul Orndorff's manager. There's no interview explaining why he's here or any reason given whatsoever. And it's a pretty good match with lots of near falls towards the end when the assassin loads his mask and headbutts Steamboat, who was then counted out of the ring. So he slides something in the forehead area of his mask, goes up behind Ricky Steamboat, grabs him by the hair, headbutts him directly in the back of the head. Steamboat goes down. Orndorff gets the win by count out. Three and a half stars from Meltzer. Uh, one of the two of the all-time greats here, I guess three, Jody Hamilton, Ricky Steamboat, Paul Orndorff, certainly a Hall of Fame level guys. Uh, what did you think of this match, Tony? Absolutely loved the match. Uh, I think the reason they put the assassin, you know, Jody was always with us. He was a big part of what's going on. It, it was the Jody position in WCW like it was the gorilla position in the, in the WWE. I think I mentioned that on, a, on an earlier uh, podcast, but uh, they put him in there probably just for the finish. Uh, and, and, I, and again... Uh, no, no interviews to set this up, uh, nothing to, uh, logically say that Jody Hamilton is out with Paul Orndor with the exception of in our mind, we knew that Jody and Paul were big guys at the power plant or, or just, just starting the power plant at that time. And, uh, it was a both guys sold great. Both was, uh, really, really good. I, I know Meltzer calls it a lame finish. Uh, I'd like to say that. You can have a one, two, three finish in every one, but do you really need it? Right. 
Do you really, really need it? I think that the site with the assassin in the ring holding Paul Orndorff's arm up and Orndorff could barely stand, to me, and Steamboat being counted out because of that is a pretty good little heat getter. It showed that Steamboat got fucked over and Orndorff still got his hand raised. I wasn't I, – I, I, I understand some, some of these guys, like Meltzer, they always want one, two, threes. I don't think he needed a one, two, three in this match. I think it worked out fine. I loved it. I agree. Hall of Famers pushing it and having a great match. Another great match is on deck for Lord Steven Regal, uh, who is, you know, and this is something I didn't realize at the time because, you know, I was just a kid watching this stuff, but uh, I did not realize that his second here was Bill Dundee. It was years later until I realized uh, that that is who accompanied Lord Steven Regal to the ring. Uh, and he's going to take on Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog. These guys go to a 15-minute draw. Uh, so Regal winds up retaining the WCW television title. Meltzer writes, they worked a European style early, which was really good. As Smith was a lot more, uh, did a lot more and a lot different maneuvers than he usually does. He's actually quite agile for his weight and in a lot of matches never shows it. Regal was great doing the mat wrestling, although fans in this country really don't comprehend what he's doing. The finish was supposed to be Smith doing a power slam at the bell However, the timekeeper told them they had 10 seconds left when Smith picked Regal up for the move, but then later announced 20 seconds left over the house mic, so Regal had to kick out. They improvised the pile driver at the bell near fall. So they go with a, he does a finishing move, one, two, oh, the bell rang, we're out of time. And usually they do some fudging on that. But I felt like even here with the miscue of the power slam and them having to improvise the pile driver, this was done pretty damn well. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, it was. And one of the reasons it was done pretty damn well is because Pee Wee Anderson was a hell of a referee. And if you'll notice, he kind of fudged and kind of circled around them and then dove over them. Yep. Just that little thing gave him a chance to do that false one-two arm down. At the exact right time. Pee Wee Anderson exactly. doesn't get the credit that he deserves there. Obviously, the guys did a great job improvising. But so many referees are not really in tune with the time. And, man, Pee Wee was right on it right there. This was done really, really well. A lot of times you see one of these, we're out of time, and there's you know some fudging with the timing. There's no fudging here. They nailed it. And the match yep. was, was pretty fun, especially uh, considering that you get to see Regal doing maybe what he's best at. And uh, that's the mat wrestling that made him so unique. Uh, Meltzer gave it two and three-quarter stars. I really dug this match. This is a string of good matches so far, at least for me, after Orndorff and Steamboat. It feels like we're picking up some steam. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I would agree. I, You know, I mentioned earlier in this uh, this podcast that Davey Boyd Smith had kind of blown up. He had. You know, he was, he was uh, wheezing and breathing heavy. But, uh, you know, he was, uh, he was in there with, a, uh, as you said, a tremendous Matt wrestler and, and Steven Regal. And, and let's face it, uh, Davey Boyd Smith and – uh, the British Bulldogs were, uh, he and Dynamite Kid were tremendous as a tag team. You know, Dynamite Kid was one of the, the great workers ever, great high flyers ever. Uh, so we had a, we had a Davey Boy Smith, who was a big star, and Lord Stephen Regal, who today is one of my favorites. I talked to Regal this past week again. We stay in communication almost a weekly basis. And I told him I watched this match. Uh, and he, you know what he told me, what Regal told me? What's that? Regal says, I never watch any of my old stuff. Really? I said, why not? He said, because I just, 
I, I uh, back then I could do a lot of things that I can't do now, and so it bugs me. So he said, I never watch any of my old stuff. Mm. And I said, you, you should, because some of your stuff is the greatest ever. It really, really is. Uh, and uh, I also stay in touch with Regal so he can text me uh, his jokes, which are the best. Uh, a lot of love for Lord Stephen Regal. Well, a lot of love for the next match, too, which is uh, the natural Dustin Rhodes, who is in his full natural garb here. Uh, they have just changed his music to where he has really iconic WCW-level music. And his gear here, man, it is so different from what you're familiar with from all of his years now as Goldust. And he's going to be retaining the U.S. title here against stunning Steve Austin. A few years later, these guys will be Goldust and Stone Cold. But here, it's the natural and stunning Steve. They go about 14 and a half minutes. And the graphic lists Austin as being managed by Colonel Rob Parker. But Parker's not with him. So the graphic was about two weeks ahead of time. Yes, it was. No one double-checked that, did they? uh, Which I found hilarious. By normal standards, this was a good match, Meltzer says, but the heat was lacking, and these two had a tons better pay-per-view match more than a year ago. After several near falls, Austin got a pin with his feet on the ropes. Nick Patrick ordered the match to continue as Austin went to look for the belt. Rhodes schoolboyed him for the pin, but after the match, Austin hit Rhodes with the belt and Rhodes juiced. Uh, two and three-quarter stars here. Two surefire Hall of Famers here. Uh, maybe one of the more classic matches that you don't hear very much about. I know the finish was a little screwy, but in the end, I enjoyed this just because of the nostalgia of seeing the natural and stunning Steve. What say you? I agree. I love the match. I love both performers. But, you know, let, let me tell you about watching stunning steve austin every time i see stunning steve austin wrestle as a member of the hollywood blondes or stunning steve i get pissed off why is that i get pissed off that we fucked up a great wrestler and he became such the icon stone cold i mean that was we 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 shit the bed with that one we have i mean we absolutely stone cold steve austin became one of the the great stars of all time would you agree Oh, no doubt. The biggest star yeah. the business ever had. He and Hulk Hogan, to me, right. are, are the tippy top of the scale. So what we did, we called him Stunning Steve from Hollywood. See, we, 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 we really missed the boat with this guy. Really missed the boat. Now, you can all, can't always hit a home run uh, coming up with a gimmick or coming up with that. But, you know, sometimes you got to sit down with a guy like Steve Austin and say, you know, what type of guy are you? There is a moment in this match when the fan gets up. And says something to him, if you go back and look at this match, and he has something to say to the fan, which almost sounded like a Stone Cold promo. Right. Uh, I don't know why we didn't pick up on that. So that that that's my feeling about that. Steve Austin, one of the great performers, and we made him from Hollywood, California. If you haven't already, I want to encourage you to go ahead and pull up the WWE Network and pull up Halloween Havoc 1993. We are going to have some fun at the end of this show with the opening of the show. Uh, And I know a lot of you are wondering, why'd you skip that? We didn't. We're going to cover it. And we're also going to give you some play-by-play for the Nasty Boys match, which is next. But we're going to skip it so we can close the show out with us doing silly commentary again. So, If you're into that, stay tuned. Uh, If not, well, you're not going to get your Nasty Boys recap. We're going to move along to the next match, which is Sting 
and he pins Sid Vicious after about 10 and a half minutes. And the concept here is there's no belt on the line, but this is to decide who is the franchise of WCW. I found this interesting because of all the elaborate uh, gimmicks and outfits and attire that Sting has worn through his career. He wears a denim jacket here with sequins on it that just felt super indie wrestler. Um, And I know it's just a moment in time because denim jackets were really popular here. But the other thing that stuck out in watching this match is how over with the crowd the phrase is, whoop, there it is. Yeah, it was that, it was that, uh, <laughs> I thought the same thing. It was that time in history, right? I mean, it's, it doesn't age well at all, but that really was a big deal once upon a time. And man, the crowd is into it just for the sake of being into it. Yeah. Uh, Vicious is into this match too. He's actually selling a lot early and then they brawl into the crowd. Uh, eventually Sting gets distracted by Parker and Vicious gives him a choke slam to gain the advantage and regain control. Uh, he uses a chair shot and then drops Sting throat first on the guardrail. At this point, the fans even start to chant Sid, Sid. And the announcers uh, are saying that the chants are for Sting because you guys just like to fuck with us. Uh, then Vicious slows it down, does some long bear hugs. Sting comes back with a couple of Stinger splashes. And at this point, Colonel Robert Parker grabs a couple of legs and uh, then eventually just one leg. And he thinks it's Sting because he's not looking, of course. He's just pulling as hard as he can by turning his head the other way, as only he can in professional wrestling. It's actually Sid's leg that he's holding on to. And uh, Sting has Sid pinned, but pinned, you know, somehow Sid manages to kick out of the pin and then picks up Colonel Robert Parker by the hair. Uh, they start to argue. Sting comes from behind, does the reverse cradle, two and three-quarter stars. So Sid takes the L, but doesn't look weak in doing so. And uh, this is actually probably a better match than the one they worked at Halloween Havoc 1990, three years prior. Uh, right. But I still prefer that one, I think, just because I really enjoyed the fake Sting angle that so many people didn't like. What did you think of this version of Sting and Sid? I like this one better. I, 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 the fake Sting angle, to me, uh, sounds good, but our execution of it, I thought, was poor. You know, We talked about that on an earlier episode because we missed the shot. I like this one, and the reason I like this one is because I thought that Robert Parker did a great job of of reacting to grabbing the wrong leg and in the ring and and <laughs> trying to explain to Sid what he was doing. You know, Robert Fuller, one of the great workers in our business, he was tremendous. I thought maybe that uh, that Sting should have slammed him or something, and he just kind of walked away, which kind of surprised me. But I, I like this because again, it made it didn't make uh, Sid look weak. Right. It made him look strong. Uh, both guys. Uh, performed very, very well. And Robert Parker's uh, reaction when he had the wrong leg, uh, when Sid said, you got my leg, was priceless. Absolutely priceless. Uh, I liked I liked a lot better than the, the fake sting one. Um, if you're the button on a fur coat, what's Robert Fuller? <laughs> he is the snap into it Slim Jim. You ever see that thing in live action? No, I did not. Bruce Pritchard says it has a knee in it. <laughs> Does it? Although, uh, Robert Parker and I roomed together one time. Did uh, Did you jump rope in there? <laughs> I couldn't get my fat ass up high enough. Uh, we uh, we were 
uh, we were on a, a West Coast trip, and we were all riding together. And for some reason, I got a, uh, I got a suite with like two or three rooms. And I said, just take one of the rooms. And so we roomed together. Uh, you're trying to say that he is like kind of like a, a Ric Flair or a, or Terry Taylor, or something oh. like that, or Ice Train. No, I'm not saying any. I don't know that. I, I just yeah, know that. I know that. See, so, you throw out these things, and you go, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I just yeah, I don't know what this means exactly. But somebody told me um, that you all that the difference between you and Colonel Robert Parker would be that you would walk up and put it in, and that he would put it in and walk up. I don't know what that means, but I don't know what it means either. That's what they said. Uh, Rick Rude is out next, and he comes out after you guys spend a few minutes fumbling over an explanation that after saying the gold belt was not a world title, now it is a world title because the board of directors internationally, which is a group of promoters internationally, they decided to recognize this gold belt as now the big gold belt, and it is the world title. What a fucking explanation this is. Um, yeah, so, you know what? You know what we should have done? We should have got your slap ass and Dave Meltzer's slap ass and sit down there and try to explain it yourself. Well, no, what I'm saying is it doesn't feel like W. I'm not saying you did a poor job. I'm saying WCW, hey, it's the yeah. world title. No, it's not. Hey, yes, it is. Never mind. Yeah, okay, I know. I know. Now. It's all fucked up. <laughs> I think we're just glad that Flair's back and we got the gold belt back. Yeah. Right? So now uh, Rude is here, and he's officially re-recognized as the world heavyweight champion, and he beats yep. Ric Flair by disqualification after about 19 and a half minutes. They had two referees for this match, one of which was cock-a-doodle-doo man himself, Terry Taylor, uh, who I guess is supposed to be turning babyface. He does a promo beforehand that is maybe one of the worst promos in the history of wrestling pay-per-view, at least in my opinion. Uh, and he says, I've done bad things in the past, but I might do good things today. I'm going to make an unpopular decision or a popular decision. I don't know. I'm just going to call it down the middle. And it just fucking makes no sense. Yeah, cock a fucking doodle do. <laughs> Go on with your gimmick. Uh, earlier in the show, an announcement was made uh, that they reinstated this. So now we're ready. And uh, right. th this was a lot better than last month's match, according to Dave Meltzer. He thought it was very good with Flair doing very little of his normal routine uh, but he says this was the worst finish thus far in the show. Of course, normally in a, in a standard flare match, you get the figure four several minutes in, halfway or later. Uh, you get it just a couple of minutes in here. Uh, so he is he's working uh, a much different style here. And I thought this was a pretty fun match. Uh, I know that Rick has not always uh, talked glowingly about working with uh, Rude, but I thought this was a fun one, and I really enjoyed his presentation here. Uh, this is made to feel like a big deal. Flair comes out as the challenger and has pyro. And then Rude, of course, does his normal shtick. But his tights have Fifi on one side and uh, Flair on the other and Trick or Treat on the back. I mean, it's everything you enjoy about Rick Rude and these tights. Eventually, they do a couple of ref bumps and Rude pulls out a foreign object. Uh, but Flair back suplexes him and the object goes flying. found this interesting. A photographer is at ringside and doesn't necessarily realize what's going on and grabs the object, which maybe, you know, mess with the finish a little bit. The photographer then has to give the object back to Flair so he can use it and then get caught by Randy Anderson for the DQ. After the match, Rude tries to kidnap Fifi and Flair grabs the belt. 
but then Flair tackles him on the ramp and goes for the figure four on the ramp. They're broken up by officials, and Rude grabs his belt back, but Fifi is back with Rick. And in real life, of course, everybody knows that uh, Fifi, real name Wendy, is with Rick now, and they live together uh, in the suburbs of Atlanta. This is a fun match, I thought. Three and one-quarter stars, according to Meltzer. What say you, Tony Schiavone? I think it was a fun match, too. Let me ask you this question before I get into it a little bit. Why has Flair, and you've known Flair, obviously you did a podcast with him, why did he not always speak on glowing terms about working with Rick Rude? He thought that, uh, well, I I guess there's two schools of thought here. Um, Supposedly, Flair and Rude had real-life issues, and, and they got near blows multiple times, and there was lots of... Uh, unrest on Rude's side, where he thought that Flair was holding him down and that uh, Flair was not allowing him to have the run he wanted to have, holding the belt hostage, use it, having a gun in the trunk, lots of craziness that Bischoff was involved with, too. But Flair says that nobody wanted to work with Rude, that he had what the, the, the code in wrestling is demons. Let's just call it like it is. He was, okay. he was drug-addled at the time and was not sure. clear-headed and was difficult to work with and was on edge and would snap and uh, just was not easy to do business with. And I get it. Flair did not not want to do business with him at all. Okay. I understand all that. That being said, and, of course, Ric Flair, as you know, every match that he was in at this part of his career, even way before that, Ric Flair called the match. I thought thought the match was set up perfectly. I agree that that the finish was shitty. But I thought the fact that the fact that Ric Flair went to the leg with a figure four early it was great. Worked on the leg, and Rude did a great job of selling the leg the entire time. Told a great story that we could tell as announcers. We could talk about you know he's going up top, but that leg is damaged. Is this a good move or not? And then he would go down, he would go up top, and he would sell the leg again. I thought the match was was set up perfectly. I thought the match was executed. Uh, did a great job of executing the match. Uh, and again, I agree the finish was bad, but I love the match. Absolutely loved it. And it, it's it's terrible that uh, Rick and Rude did not get along. Uh, Flair and Rude did not get along because the two could work together. Oh, for sure. And this was this was a perfect example of it. Yeah, I think it's one of the more underrated matches of Rick Rude's career, uh, and, and yeah. I, I really enjoy seeing him with the big gold belt. You know, a lot of people argue that he should, probably should have been world champion for the WWF, but of course, at that time there weren't heel champions at least for very long uh but man he looked appropriate with that big gold belt around his waist here uh and now he's of course taking his rightful spot in the hall of fame up next though is a hall of fame level match man big van vader taking on cactus jack earlier in the show uh, we saw vader come out and spin the wheel with harley race and it lands on a texas death match and here they're going to use the old-style deathmatch rules, which means falls don't count, and it continues until one man can't answer the bell after a 30-second rest period. Meltzer writes, they also added a falls count anywhere stipulation to those traditional deathmatch rules. And he says that uh, you opened the match repeating that Cactus Jack had lost his memory, etc. Yeah. Uh, but they kind of had forgotten all about that in the storyline build here. And he takes you to task and says, don't they follow their own television? Do you have a response to Mr. Meltzer on that? Uh, no, I have no response. 
Uh, this is an incredible match marred by an incredibly bad finish. Dave writes Harley race shot Jack with a stun gun. So he couldn't get up from the 10 count. What's next? A straight edge razor, a switchblade, and finally a 44 Magnum. This was the most brutal of the three matches, which is saying a lot and probably the best pay-per-view match either has had, which is saying even more. Both men took brutal head on chair shots without blocking. Both were covered in blood. Jack was opened up by Vader's continual punches around the eye, and it looked to be hard way. They were suplexing one another on the ramp and on the floor. And at one point, they brawled onto the stage, and it was made up to look like a graveyard. And underneath a tombstone, they went downstairs. Uh, Vader came up from there bloody. Jack hit him with a stiff clothesline and got the first fall on the ramp at about five and a half minutes. Then he did an elbow drop off the ramp onto the concrete floor and got a second pinfall. At 28 seconds, they got back in the ring and Jack threw Vader into a table for another near fall. He tried a sunset flip off the apron onto the floor. Process that. Uh, Vader didn't go over and tried to sit on Jack, but Jack moved. So then Jack moves Vader onto the guardrail and over. Uh, Eventually, he tries a flip splash over the guardrail, but Vader moves. He crashes into the concrete again. Uh, and then Vader throws Jack back over the guardrail, hits him with that rusty steel chair. They get back in the ring. Vader goes for a third fall with a moonsault. That's right, a moonsault. And that goes, that happens after about four and a half minutes. And then Vader crashes Jack on the ramp. I want you to really process this. Uh, Mick Foley wrote about in his book that he wanted out of the business and uh, he wanted to cash in on a Lloyd's of London policy. And he had planned to take a bump so horrific and so devastating that he would finally be able to cash in on this Lloyd's of London policy and just get paid to sit at home and be with his family and just put all of this behind him because he was unhappy in WCW and the uncertainty of what was going to happen with his contract. So they plan a spot where the over 400 pound Vader has Cactus Jack on his back, almost like he was giving him a piggyback ride. He walks down the ramp that connected to the ring and the entrance and then just throws all of his weight, almost as if Vader's trying to take a flat back bump himself on the ramp. But instead of hitting the ramp, he's on top of Cactus Jack. So you've got nearly 700 pounds with 400 pounds on top of you going splat on the ramp. And it takes uh, Jack's breath away and he is hurt. But he's not hurt so bad that he feels like he can cash in. So he continues the match and his career. But that was the original plan, which is really saying something. Yeah, Uh, it is. It's saying how unhappy he was. That was the bump of the night. No doubt about it. There's no question. No doubt about it. I I showed my daughter that, and I said, hey, you'll never see this ever again. Take a look at this. And, And every other time we saw it in the future, whether it was Bam Bam Bigelow and Taz and ECW or anywhere else, there was always some sort of gimmick where they would go, you know, through the ring or they would, you know, something like that. But there would never just be, no, he's just going to really splat right here. Um, after that, Vader starts swinging a chair like a baseball bat. This is that old rusty steel chair. And uh, then he hits uh, a DDT on a chair and gets a pin. Uh, Jack gets up and DDT's Vader on the chair to score a pin. But during the rest period, this is where Harley race shoots cactus Jack with the stun gun. Uh, Jack gets right up after losing and gave race a double arm DDT on the ramp. 
Uh, but Race got up very quickly and walked away. Meltzer writes, if you didn't buy this pay-per-view, you really owe it to yourself to get a tape to see this match. Four and three-quarter stars. Uh, one of the more brutal matches. I mean, I know we talked a lot about the squash on the ramp, but they do a suplex on the ramp and then a back suplex on the ramp. The idea that Vader goes from inside the ring over the ropes and just takes a regular traditional vertical suplex onto the ramp at his weight was incredible to me. Well, you know, uh, we know and we know that Cactus Jack would do crazy things. We've often known that, and, and he's become a legend because of it. And obviously, you know, his body has suffered because of it here in later years. But as snug and as uh, and as as tough as Fader was, he was one of at at his prime one of the great big men in the business. I mean, his his shit was was real. It, it goes back to this. I talked to Magnum TA years ago, and Magnum was a and I may have brought this up on a podcast. Magnum was a a wrestling fan growing up in Virginia, just like I was, and he talked about the hook. In wrestling, there was always the hook back then. The hook is gone now, but the hook back then was you would go to a wrestling event and you would watch, let's say, five, six matches. And you would say, yeah, that one's bullshit. That one's bullshit. That one's not real. But that guy, he's legit. And that's what you thought about Vader. All this other shit was bullshit, maybe. But that guy was always legit. And that's the way he was. That's the way he worked. And obviously, people suffered because of it. But uh, phenomenal match. One thing I remember about this match more than any, it's on a personal note, and I even mentioned it in the commentary. They were bloody, both of them. They came over to our corner and started wailing away on each other. And Jesse and I got covered in blood. And I mentioned this on the on the broadcast. I had uh, sunglasses on. Blood came down in side the sunglasses and got in my eyes oh my gosh yeah and i was thinking you know this was 1993 i was thinking man i need to probably get a, a hiv test not to say that any of those guys had aids but that was the fear back then about tainted blood uh and we were we were we uh, we had to way i had to wipe down a little bit so uh one of one of my most memorable matches calling ever in wcw uh cactus could take incredible bumps the story about Lloyd's London is is something else, uh, but Vader could dish out the punishment, and I agree that uh, that one where he landed on his back on the uh, on the ramp was one of the great bumps of all time. Really, the elbow, you know, off the ramp to the concrete floor, you know, the the Vader moonsault, uh, the chair shots. I mean, this is just and some of the the punches that Vader's throwing here. It's obvious that the plan was to get color the hard way but these are not these are not working punches he's punching the shit out of him that's right and that's why you said i mean that's why i said there was always the hook yeah vader was like i mean vader was uh i i talked to leon at at wrestlecon and of course his health is not good now uh but uh i got to thinking about some of the shit that he did man he was legit Go out of your way if you haven't already uh, to watch this match. It is, uh, it's worth going out of your way. Melser would write a couple of weeks later, it appears that Halloween Havoc did the same bar rate in the .5 neighborhood the past few WCW shows have done. So to this point, the more frequent shows haven't adversely affected the bar rate. 
The break-even is said to be about 0.35. If Battleball can maintain that number with close proximity to Survivor Series, that would seem to indicate the WCW fan base is willing to support more frequent pay-per-view shows, although my belief is Battleball is the show that is going to take it on the chin. I'm sure we'll cover that in the future, but of course, WCW did start covering more pay-per-views, and right after Halloween Havoc, uh, most of the big names for the company left for a European swing from October 26th through November 7th. And I'm sure we'll cover it in great detail at some point in the future. But while they're in Europe on that tour, that's where we got the now infamous Sid Vicious Arn Anderson brawl that involves some scissors in England. Were you there on that European tour, Tony? I was not on the European tour. I, I had gone on some European tours. I was not on that one. But, uh, you know, there had been, uh, throughout the years, uh, things happen on European tours with the boys. Uh, uh, and I was on the uh, European tour where uh, Coco Beware uh, broke the, uh, the WWE uh, in Belgium, broke the uh, whiskey bottle. They would always get over there and kind of get, I don't know, stir crazy. Language was different, right? And uh, the guys just felt kind of boxed in so a lot of times on the road in europe uh tempers would flare and i was not there with this this famous uh, and we've also had someone online want me to talk about it i was not there but i can tell you arn anderson uh to get that mad had to be pretty well soused and pretty pissed off because he's a pretty level-headed guy Absolutely. We'll talk about it, uh, I'm sure, when we do a profile on Sid or Arn Anderson and what all was written in The Observer. But now, let's finish on a high note. You guys wanted us to do more of this, well, we're going to do it right now for you. Fire up your WWE Network. We're going to open the show with Halloween Havoc 1993. Right at the very beginning, uh, you'll, you'll go ahead and want to watch along with us. Of course, in this segment, we're going to see... Uh, the famous skit that involved Tony Schiavone and the kids who were trick-or-treating. So if you haven't already, fire up your WWE Network. Tony, are you ready? Conrad, I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Let's hit play right now. Well, this thing was shot in, uh, in Atlanta somewhere. And we had a lot of kids scheduled that day to be there. And... A couple of them were my kids. Your this kids thing was here. probably end up shot. Look at this punk. This is this is really some bad acting of, for some kids, isn't it? Well, some shit bad acting. These kids may be in Hollywood right now, for all I know. So none of these kids are yours. No, none of these are mine. My kids were my kids were in a group that never were seen on camera, but they stayed there all night with us. We everybody was on edge this night. Everybody was on edge because it took all night to shoot this motherfucker. He's going to show you something better than good. He's going to show you something great. Look, Lois lives in that house. Look at those rocking chairs up there. Bray Wyatt must have been visiting. <laughs> Whose house yeah. is this? Lois. Ooh, Lois lives in this house. And as we all know, she's fucking nuts. Look good. They did a great job with this house, didn't they? Looks good. Uh, do you know, uh, is this someone on staff's house or is this just a house you guys rented? Uh, house we rented and now the little punks will walk up and get onto the porch i love the line i love the line sister who brought her (laughs) sisters what a bore 
Yeah. Who wrote this shit? I have no idea. You know, Neil... Oh, shut up, you little punk. Neil Pruitt may have walked, may have wrote this thing. And now... Here we go. Oh, one of the big scenes that I've been remembered for... And here's something that is a little bit of trivia. I still have that fucking robe. <laughs> it is still hanging in the closet. Holy shit, look how skinny I am. And she knows how to pronounce my name. She didn't know how to spell it, that's for sure. No one does. So what's that smell, Tony? That's, uh, I just... I just took a big shit. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it was your something in the oven. It was Lois. She was cooking Blue Apron. (laughs) Yes, she she was. (laughs) You know, know, I wanted to hit that little motherfucker right in the nose. (laughs) The the little. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I can just imagine you little prick. Uh, this shot here is 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 one that that I uh, I kind of freelanced on my own. What to jump to the top of the stairs? No, the smile that you're going to see right here. Oh yeah, right at the end. Yeah, that was me. You about to start playing some records, Klondike Bill style? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know I I remember shooting this scene vividly. How many fucking times I have to come down the steps? Holy shit! And then they put this thing on my neck. It took an hour to put it on my neck, and they never did. Look at that fucking nose I got. You were Arn Anderson once said, you got a big belly and a Bob Hope top nose. Little son of a bitch. I think I could have passed for this kid's stunt double or hair. You might have been this kid. How ironic would that be? Wouldn't it be something? He's probably a big Hollywood star right now, but he was a shitty kid actor. <laughs> oh my gosh! Look at you selling the nose. <laughs> selling the nose. Oh god! Now look at this. Reach. Yeah, they had to take that shot. Pull back that. Oh my god! And look. Holy shit! It's the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Look at that nose. <laughs> no, wait a minute. It's the Halloween monster. Oh, God. Whose idea was this? Who put this together? Uh, this was uh, Craig Leathers, uh, Neil Pruitt, a guy named Woody Kearse, and uh, Keith Mitchell all worked on this. Who wrote it? I'm not sure. But you know what? It's, uh, it's stood the test of time, hasn't it? I got to tell you, I was really hoping that you would have called one of those kids a slapdick. <laughs> well, I, I can't. I would, I would get in trouble for that. What, I mean, call, I call, call him a little motherfucker, a little piece of shit, but slapdick <laughs> is, is adult only. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. There are, there okay, are, there you go. There's no such thing as little slapdicks. Yeah, we all, uh, a story about that very quickly. We all had, uh, like movie stars, had trailers because we knew it would be a long night. Uh-huh. And I had my three youngest kids, Chris, who you met recently. Yeah. And the twins, and they were so tired. They were so tired, and they were upset and we're talking we're talking about two o'clock in the morning now uh when they finally put them in a group of kids to run across uh 
to run across the road trick-or-treating. And then they never used, used them in the shot. It really fucking pissed me off. Not not because of me, but because I had my kids there all night. Uh, so, And then, of course, we went on in 1999 to do a movie, Ready to Rumble. And I realized that hanging around doing nothing all fucking day is nothing new in Hollywood. Uh, so uh, that that did, that by the time I was walking down those steps, I'd had enough of that night. So let's go ahead and uh, have everybody skip ahead. Next up, we're going to cover uh, the Nasty Boys, and they're going to be challenging for the tag team titles that at this point are held by Marcus Alexander Bagwell and uh, Two Cold Scorpio. I'm going to have you skip ahead to one hour, 25 minutes, and 26 seconds. I'll give you a minute to get there. It's one hour, 25 minutes, and 26 seconds. Uh, This is going to be a fun match to call simply because uh, it's what everybody really enjoys. Tony going into full-blown announcer mode, but now he can just freestyle and say exactly what he thinks. And when you get to one hour and 25 minutes and 26 seconds, you should see a jack-o'-lantern. Let me know when you're ready, Mr. Shivani. I'm ready. Let's go. All right. That's everybody hit play on now. Okay. So here we go. Halloween Havoc 1993. Marcus Bagwell, Two Cold Scorpio against the Nasty Boys. And one of my favorites of all time, Missy Hyde. I thought, ooh, Lord of mercy. I thought Missy does a great job of playing a. Scuzzy old nasty girl here, don't you, Conrad? Uh, I love the way she uh, is portrayed here, and you guys uh, clarify that she is actually, in fact, an escort for the Nasty Boys. How about that? We might as well have called her a whore, which would have been a bad thing for us to say. Jesse Ventura even says she looks like she'd be right at home at an escort service. Yes, she does. I I like the gimmick. Love the Nasty Boys. Uh, And, you know, we talked about earlier that the Nasty Boys... Had uh, had a great match at a Halloween Havoc a few years earlier against the Steiners. Not so sure they're going to have the same match here. And here comes a, a very handsome Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Two Cold Scorpio. You know, I wonder what happened to Two Cold Scorpio after this. You know, he, he didn't last with us long. But I guess he, went all, he, he started wrestling with extreme wrestling and went overseas a little bit. And uh, here's Teddy Long. And Marcus, boy, Marcus Bagwell looks good, man. Nice look, <laughs> nice looking young man. Oh shit! Go ahead, say something about that. What would uh, Jim Barnett think of Marcus Alexander Bagwell? I think he loved him. Oh. I think he absolutely loved him. Marcus uh, from uh, Marietta, Sprayberry High School. So I, I've known Marcus for quite a while. Uh, you know what I find interesting here, Tony, is on one side, we've got Missy Hyatt, who is a kayfabe escort. And on the other side, we've got Marcus Alexander Bagwell, who is a shoot escort. That's mm-hmm. right. Bagwell is now a gigolo, a man whore. And mm-hmm. uh, he'd be happy to uh, come to your house and let you play with his button on a fur coat anytime. I did not know that. Yeah, it's a thing. Uh, and Too Cold Scorpio, and he have heat now. Uh, apparently, they did a series of shoot interviews against each other in the more recent years about how they both hated with working with one another. Uh, but in the ring, of course, their manager, Hall of Famer Teddy Long. Uh, how much money do you think WCW paid Michael Buffer through the years, Mr. Shivani? Michael Buffer was the highest paid announcer 
of WCW that night. Highest paid announcer. And, of course, this was an Eric thing to bring Michael Buffer in. Michael, pretty good guy. I don't, Nobody had a problem with him. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if we got our money out of him that we needed. You know, in, in our effort to make it look legit, right? This made it sound legit. You may recall that Stunning Steve, when Buffer was announced to him, Stunning Steve was like, come on, get to it, get to it, because he kind of drug it out a little bit. The Nasty Boys with Missy Hyatt against Two Cold Scorpio and Marcus Alexander Bagwell with Teddy Long in their corner. Well, they just put Teddy in anybody's corner, didn't they? Yeah, I don't know uh, what the the exact plan here was, but I did think it was fun that – Alexander Bagwell and uh, Scorpio have a little synchronization routine here. And Bagwell is very early in his wrestling career, having worked some shots there on the independent scene in Georgia uh, and then coming right into WCW with a good push. Uh, why was he pushed so soon, do you think, Tony? Because of his look. They were really into that. They wanted good-looking, strong young men. It was all because of the look. There was no question. Here we go. All right. Tag team match, Marcus Bagwell and two Colt Scorpio going at it with Teddy Long, their manager. I, I found it odd that Teddy didn't even get announced here by Michael Buffer. Yeah, once again, because of how fucked up WCW is. All right, tag team now. And, well, you saw this one coming. From the get-go, here they go. Sending both men in and both sending both men down. Somebody get Missy off the fucking apron of the ring. Holy shit. But we're going to find out that Missy's on the apron of the ring for a reason. Because she's going to get a little part of Marcus Bagwell. Yeah, ooh. 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 Uh, Missy, I understand, was a good kisser. Uh, which one of the three dozen boys in the locker room told you that? Okay. Marcus Bagwell, two cold Scorpio here against the <laughs> against the nasty boys. Uh, you know, there was a, a I, I guess a thought that the nasty boys loved to give bumps but didn't like to take them. I I I I'm going to dispute that. We see we've seen enough of these slapdicks at ringside, so we let yeah. Let's go back to the match here. And notice how long it's getting to to take to start this match. And you know the reason behind this, don't you? What's that? Well, the boys were told you got like 15 minutes. They didn't want to work for 15 minutes. They wanted to fuck around a little bit and then get to work a little bit later. And Jerry Sags will start against Bagwell. Randy Anderson, the referee, collar and elbow tie-up. And right in front of Tony Schiavone, Jesse the Body Ventura. Great start by Jerry Sags, one of the members of the Rhodes family, as we mentioned earlier in this podcast, and he'll snap Mary him over and then drive in a knee. Nissy jumping up and down on the side, boobs are flapping in the wind. And here's Brian Knobs, <laughs> one of the craziest guys in the business, by the way, completely fucking nuts. And he loved it, that he was nuts. That his gimmick was nasty on the outside, but nuts on the inside. Missing Bagwell with a double drop kick, and I'm not so sure he connected with that, 
Whoa, two cold Scorpio over the top. Are you going to help me call this match, motherfucker, or are you just going to sit there and look at it? <laughs> Sags takes a rough tumble over to the uh, over to the floor, and now what no, we you're really a color, need you're a color guy. What we really need is more Missy Hyatt. What is Missy Hyatt going to going to do in this match? Except maybe take her jacket off. Wouldn't that be the biggest high spot in the show so far, Tony? I think it would. But if she take her jacket off, then something might slip out, and then all of a sudden the attention will be turned away from this match. Well, I don't think that would hurt anybody's feelings to miss a minute of a Buff Bagwell match. Yeah. Scale of one to ten. Uh, how, uh, how? Well, there we go. <laughs> oh, what a hybrid maneuver! I, you know, when I when I saw this again, I'm thinking, what are they trying to do? Someone could get killed here. I, I don't know if they. I don't know if they rehearsed this spot or talked about it or not. But damn, it looked good, didn't it? That was a rough, rough fall. Uh, it's a shame that they didn't have uh, a flotation to land on a flotation device to land on there. Yeah, well. They'd have landed on Missy. They'd have had one. They'd have had two. They'd have had two. Oh, some strategy. I love that. Rest. I love that strategy. I love when they would talk. Who so, the, what the fuck were they saying? Look at the haircuts here that we're sporting at Halloween Havoc 1993. Uh, do you reckon that the uh, Nasty Boys paid American dollars for these haircuts? You know, no, I'm sure they had it done. Back then, by, you know, back then, by that time, I believe there was somebody to cut your hair in the back. Well, I have it on good authority that uh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell was rocking a Floby here. A uh, Floby. That, that's a Floby haircut if I've ever seen one. All right. What's a I, All right. Very good. And now two cold Scorpio. I thought one of the most underrated performers that we had back in the early 90s there, he had a lot of excitement. Look at that move. I don't know what you would call it, but Jim Ross would be able to call it. And there's a single leg takedown into an arm bar. And reaching out to Colt Scorpio, slowing down the momentum here. That is the Look weirdest single leg sad. takedown I've ever He's seen, Tony Schiavone. In Alabama, that looked like a uh, drop toe hold. I thought okay. that was uh, an amateur wrestling move. That was a single uh, leg takedown. But I'm, a, I'm a rookie. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, who gives a fuck what it was called? <laughs> so One thing that I try to do in this match here, just to let you know, as both men miss... Sags misses and a double shoulder block. One, two, and a false finish. And now all four men are in. One thing that I always try to do on these pay-per-views was talk less. If you listen to those, I always thought Jim Crockett told me this. He said, let the action speak for itself. You don't have to call everything. And I always, oh, I always thought he was right. Fizz, press, one, two. Hypothetically, Tony, how tickled would you be if Buff Bagwell were to give you a Fizz, press? Uh, ooh, is that a hip toss? That's a hip toss. That's a hell and a of right a hand to the head, left, right combinations. Some great teamwork here from Two Cold Scorpio and Marcus Bagwell. I thought Marcus became a much better heel than he was a babyface. Wouldn't you agree? Cover one, two, and a two count. You know, big mistake here made by WCW in this match. Nah, Not because I'm an old creep. But we're not seeing enough shots of Missy. I was Don't about to say, yeah, I need Missy in the frame. Yeah. There's no question. A lot of boys have said that through the years, too. Uh, but see where we're not. I mean, we've got a rest hold here, right? Why aren't we showing Missy right now? Why not you showing Missy? And, of course, uh, again, you know, it's. Uh, yeah, I understand it's hindsight. 
and it's armchair quarterbacking. But this is when you show Missy. This is when you get the 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 wide shot or the long shot of Missy Hyatt. You know, I, I think at this point, if I was looking for a pop in the match, I would just start yep. yelling, "Whoop! There it is!" <laughs> that seems to have worked for the rest of the card. Working over in the corner, I wonder who's calling the spots in this thing. Up on top, oh, he he missed that time completely, but a great <laughs> job by by Bri, by Sags, who even sold it quite well and completely missed that drop kick. Holy <laughs> shit! Holy shit! Did uh, we sell that in the match? Did we sell that in the match? <laughs> oh my god, that was as brutal as you'll find. But give it to him, right? Back to the rest hold again. Again, no Missy Hyatt. So we made a mistake here. Great reversal by two cold Scorpio. Do you think uh, Scorpio and Colonel Robert Parker were buddies? Uh, do you, uh, like uh, double team some people? Some. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I would. I was. <laughs> I was not in that club. Okay. No, we heard all about that in our q and I was not in the long swinging dick club, okay? Just to put it bluntly. Up goes Bagwell. Oh, my goodness. What the hell? I think Bagwell's dead. Yeah, I think so, too. I think they missed this one. Hey, so I don't think Bagwell was supposed to go over the top. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that was the plan or not. Yeah. But I, but I know that in just a minute, we're going to see... Well, it's yep. probably the hardest slap in the history of pro wrestling. Uh, it was tremendous. God. Now, Bagwell's really pissed off here. No, he, he should be. That, that yeah. That's the loudest smack of the night in any match look at, anywhere. Look at his face. Yeah. <laughs> he, says, he is legitimately pissed off here. Well, probably because he's an escort, and she didn't leave the money on the dresser. And he's <laughs> he, spent. He really, Bagwell is going through the fact that he just took a hell of a bump off the ring and he needs to sell this, but he wants to kick her ass as well. And a belly-to-back suplex on the floor. I agree. That was a stiff smack. Absolutely. And now, uh, again, and call me an old fucking creep. I know you are. But she makes that great smack, and you need to see her. Yeah. You absolutely do. I feel like Jim Barnett's working the camera here. We're just getting lots of bagwell shots. I don't think I, I think Jim Barnett would have dropped the camera by this time, don't you? Well, and would have tried to help Marcus up. Don't you? I don't know. Speaking of Marcus going up, belly-to-back suplex, or just a plain old suplex, one, two, and a two-count from Randy Anderson. I think the Nasty Boys are one of the more underrated tag I don't know why so many people sleep on them. They, uh, I've always enjoyed their matches. I felt like they were underrated. There's no question. They... They were big. They were tough. They liked to use the clothesline a lot, which probably they overdid it. You know, if you overdo the clothesline, then the clothesline doesn't mean much, right? Right. Uh, and they did a lot of that. But now they're working working on a part of the body here of Marcus Alexander Bagwell, which is not the part between his legs. And the pickup and the big slam. Yeah, that great slam with, with force. They, they, a lot of their moves were legit, look legit. And a cover. And a two count. The cameraman on the apron right there, Tony, that we just saw briefly. Who is that? Uh, I'd have to see it again. 
That might have been Jackie Crockett. That's what I was hoping you were going to say. Yeah. The legendary pervert himself, Jackie Crockett. A couple of elbows to the small of the back of Marcus Bagwell. So Bagwell now, the, the one that has been told to sell in this match, and then to make a term that you like, Conrad, the hot tag. Well, I don't know that I like it as much as Klondike Bill does. Would the Nasty Boys be Klondike Bill's favorite tag team? He he likes yeah he would like them because they were sweaty and dirty and grimy, and that's the way Klondike likes his men, liked his women. Elbow in the back from Sags. See that's that's a that is a great move right there. Not only put the elbow but grind the elbow at the point of attack. Not many did that. So they really, their gimmick being nasty, they really tried to portray that in the ring as far as what they did on the outside and their commentary as well. Now here comes the Irish whip in, made famous in Ireland back in 1872 when they used to whip drunks out of the bar. And now they'll pull him to the center of the ring. Now this is where I'd kick him in the dick. But that's not me. He's gonna he's gonna drop the leg right across the the sternum. See, so you kick him in the dick. Only thing you're gonna get is Randy Anderson warning you, right? They won't stop the match. How uh, uh, how Bagwell doing a great job of selling here? I think trying to get up. Was there a tag made? The old referee's got his back turned. Double team. No tag made. No tag made. Ref still counts. Yeah, that's good stuff. See, that's that's heat getting stuff. And, and once once again, one of the things that made the Nasty Boys a a good tag team, a good heel tag team. Uh, who would have been Missy Hyatt's favorite Nasty Boy? Uh, Brian Nobbs, Jerry Sags, or Tony Schiavone? Uh, it would have been uh, probably uh, Brian Nobbs. Why do you always set me up with this bullshit? Well, you're, I mean, trying to make, you're trying to make me seem like a whore. No, no. We know that you're you're a dick chai, so you're not going to do anything with it. Okay. Man, pulling on the lower back with a bear hug. Did you see the uh, shoot interview a few years ago where Missy Hyatt uh, talked about all the wrestlers' penises and showed uh, charts and graphs and rulers? Are you serious? Yes, that's real life. Wow. I haven't seen Missy since I don't know when. But I did get to see her boobs one time by mistake. Uh, and by mistake, you were in the women's room? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but she kind of, well, she, she had a shirt on and she bent over and they just kind of flopped out. Oh, how about that? It's worth mentioning that uh, Missy Hyatt let everybody see her boobs. She did a uh, porno site. WrestlingVixens.com, since you've been out of the business, where her and Sonny took turns showing their uh, little round browns off to the world. Type this in, WrestlingVixen.com? <laughs> Is that still available? No, it's not, but you can probably yeah. find it in your Google machine. Oh! Great move by Bagwell. Bagwell doing a great job of selling here and trying to make the tag to Scorpio. This always was... A great part of tag team wrestling. What's going through Brian Knob's head right now in real life? In real life, I need a fucking drink. And now the tag, but the referee didn't see it. 
Absolutely not. And the Nasty Boys, this is some just great tag team work. Oh, great job by Bagwell. And then Bagwell still sells face first, doing a great job. He's doing his very best Ricky Morton right here. Absolutely. Look at this. Look how he, on his knees, makes the tag. Great hot tag. And here comes the baby face fresh. And he completely fucking missed that as well. (laughs) Jesus. And missed another drop kick. Holy shit. A series of missed moves. And... (laughs) Oh, shit. Try something else, Scorpio. Those things are not fucking working, buddy. Into the corner. That's not a bad one. And now Scorpio's going up top. Moon assault. Oh, I always want to say it like that. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. All four men in the ring and Missy's ass in the camera. Teddy pulling, looking, trying to look up her dress. She's trying to kick him in the dick. And we're, we've got people fighting on either side. We got Teddy pulling on Missy. Missy's boobs getting ready to fall out. Meanwhile, in the corner of Bigfoot. And here comes Scorpio with his. Oh, there goes Missy. There goes, here comes Scorpio with his big finish. His big. Oh, my goodness. Landed on his knees, but it still looked damn good. But the boot in the head. Referee turns around. Oh, my goodness. And a short lived tag team championship for two Colt Scorpio. And Marcus Alexander Bagwell. And the Nasty Boys reign once again. The Pretty big good. Oh, Missy is down. Let's pick her up. Gently now, boys. Okay, I'm sure she's been in that position before. And she'll be helped out. Do you the think- Nasty Boys, the world tag team champs, a very skinny Doug Dillinger, who's become a fat ass since then, helps them off. And we have new world tag team champs. Going to take a look at the replay again. Let's go to Conrad. Conrad. We almost get the upskirt that Klondike Bill and Tony Schiavone were looking for. Missy takes a hard bump. Scorpio goes up top. He's top heavy, as you know. 450 splash. He's probably done that with Colonel Robert Parker. But in from behind, the boot to the head. Jerry Sags. The same nasty boy finish we saw over and over and over. Brian Knobs finally gets the drink he needs. And Bagwell is pissed. He didn't get paid for tonight's escort work, and he certainly got fucked. So there. <laughs> I got, I got, certainly got fucked. I got Tony Schiavone on that one. Um, so hypothetically, Mr. Schiavone, how fond do you think Missy Hyatt was of the tag team situation? You think she was a fan of tag teaming? Yeah, I'm sure she was, from what I heard. Uh, which apparently, if uh, she has uh, embraced that since then, yeah, I mean, I think I think she did a great job with the Nasty Boys and every other team she managed. Yeah, I, I like Missy. You know, we uh, Missy Missy did a great job of portraying over the top. Yeah, over the top, the dumb blonde. Uh, and I, I did some th- I did some things with her. You did. <laughs> What yeah. things did you just spin the bottle? I did some. I did some on-camera work with her. Really? And, and I always enjoyed working with her. I, 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 I did. That on-camera work was at WrestlingVixens.com. Is that right? You were working. You there? know, I knew. Looking at your fat ass sitting over, I knew as soon as I started down this road that you were going to try to 
make a right or left turn on that. I don't remember you I'm talking saying... about. I'm talking about professionally working with Missy Hyatt. Yeah. She was fun to work with because she was just uh, – she would <laughs> – She's very giving. She would, She's giving. She would do anything. I, those are the best kinds of girls, <laughs> uh, especially over at WrestlingVixens.com. And what I found interesting about that, Tony, is, um, you know, for whatever reason – you uh you weren't featured in any of those videos when you worked with her professionally. Were you working the dark matches? Were you a fluffer on that site? I was not. I was not a fluffer. I'm sure when Marcus Bagwell was uh, was and Alex Wright was involved, that Jim Barnett would have let him be a fluffer. But I wasn't a fluffer. Just to let you know, and I did some things with. with <laughs> start this. <laughs> Marcus Alexander Bagwell and the Z-Man Tom Zink, if they were a tag team, would they not be called Tony's Wet Dream? No. My God. Can I say this? I am having more fun in wrestling than I've ever had before. <laughs> and we're having and we're fun. We're talking through all those years of WCW, Jim Crockett Promotions, one year in the WWE. I'm just having more fun than I've ever had. <laughs> but, Okay. Uh, I work with Missy. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Missy. We're done. Uh, everybody else did. Let's move I never along. did. No, no. I, I, I didn't mean that. I just mean she was a heel and everybody would screw her over in the matches. You're confusing. Right. I'm right. not saying you act. We know you're faithful to no, Lois. No, you're implying that shit. You always do. No, she played a ditzy blonde. You, you, you played uh, a slap dick announcer with a Vienna sausage and yeah. You know, it is what it is. It's cool. It is what it is. You were not featured in that video where she talked about everyone's penis, by the way. Yeah, because she probably couldn't have found mine. Well, it w- I, I did hear that you made a sex tape, but it was a vine. But that could just be rumor and innuendo. Let's talk about next week's show. We're having a good time, and uh, we hope you are, too. We're going to go ahead and throw up a poll for 1994. We've been going kind of year by year from 90 on, and uh, 94 is up next. Lots of pay-per-views there, so we're only going to be able to pick four. Let's get it started off. Poll option number one, Super Brawl 4. We've got the Harlem Heat taking on Thunder and Lightning, Jim Steele and the Equalizer, Terry Taylor and DDP, Johnny B. Bad and Jimmy Garvin, Regal and Arn, and then a match that should be a barn burner, Cactus Jack and Max Payne taking on the Nasty Boys, and then, of course, the Thunder Cage match. That's right, Thunder Cage, Sting, Brian Pillman, and Dustin Rhodes taking on Steve Austin, Rick Rude, and Paul Orndorff. In the main event, Rick Rude and Vader. That's right. Rick Rude and Vader in the main event. Super Brawl 4 is poll option number number one. Poll option number two from 1994, Spring Stampede. This time again, we've got a classic match on top with Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat. This one is for the World Heavyweight title. We've also got Vader and the Boss, who you remember as the Big Boss Man. We've got a bunkhouse match with Bunkhouse Buck and Dustin Rhodes. We've got Sting and Rick Rude. We've got Steve Austin and the Great Muda. We've got the Nasty Boys and Cactus Jack and Max Payne. And this is the one you've heard about, the Chicago Street Fight. We've got Steven Regal and Brian Pillman, Johnny B. Bad and DDP. Lots of fun stuff to talk about, including a dark match with Danny Bonaducci and Christopher Knight. You don't want to miss that. It's Spring Stampede 1994. Slamboree 94 is our next one. We've got Steve Austin and Johnny B. Bad, Terry Funk, and Tully Blanchard. Wow, how about that? Larry Zabisco and Lord Steven Regal, Dustin Rhodes, and Bunkhouse Buck in a bull rope match. 
for the world title. We've got Ric Flair and Barry Windham. And then, of course, Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan taking on the Nasty Boys. This is a Broad Street bully match. And our main event, we've got the vacant WCW International World Heavyweight Championship on the line when Sting takes on Vader. Uh, Poll option number three is Slamboree 1994. And now the one that's probably going to win, the show that put WCW on the map, Bash at the Beach 1994. The main event is Hulk Hogan. He's going to be challenging the world champion Ric Flair for the world title. Uh, What a colossal match this was, and what a big moment for WCW. The undercard, pretty fun as well. We've got Paul Roma and Paul Orndorff, pretty wonderful, taking on Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan, Ricky Steamboat and Steve Austin, Terry Funk and Buckhouse Buck, taking on Dustin Rhodes and Arn Anderson, Vader taking on the Guardian Angel, yet another gimmick for the big boss man. And in the curtain jerker match, this is how good it is. Steve Regal and Johnny B. Bad. Anytime Steve Regal's in the first match on the card, it's a pretty loaded pay-per-view. Bash at the Beach 94 is poll option number four. So amongst those four, Tony, what would you prefer that we cover next week? Bash at the Beach, Slamboree, Spring Stampede, uh, or Super Brawl 4? Oh, there's no question, Conrad. It's got to be Bash at the Beach. Yeah, I think Bash I, at the I, Beach. It completely turned us around. Uh, WCW was falling on its ass. Eric Bischoff had this grand idea, and that was the beginning of his grand idea. Well, all of a sudden, we're in Orlando, and we've got a we've got everybody in their seats. We've got Hulk Hogan. We're going to come out with our biggest buy rate ever. Business changed. This was the beginning of of WCW as the fans know it, with the forerunner to Nitro and and all this, then the. Uh, the uh, Wrestle Wars that happened uh, in the late 90s. This was the beginning right here. And you can go ahead and throw your vote down right now at WHW Monday. You'll see all four topics right there on Twitter. It's at WHW Monday. And to put that in perspective again, Slamboree 94 drew 4,000 folks in Philadelphia. That was in May. A couple of months later in July, they had 14,000 folks on hand for Bash at the Beach 94. So there it is again, Bash at the Beach 94, Slamboree 94, Spring Stampede 94, and Super Brawl 4. It's all things WCW 1994 next week right here on What Happened When. Follow me on Twitter at Hey Hey It's Conrad. Follow Tony Schiavone at Tony Schiavone 24. And of course, throw down your vote right now at WHW Monday. And we'd love to have your support. Go ahead and cruise on over to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. And remember, when you pick up a shirt there, he is going to call and thank you for that shirt. You'll be able to have a conversation with Tony Schiavone all your own. It's almost like a little mini bonus show. Be sure to ask him about his button on a fur coat. Anything else we can uh, plug or promote for you today, Mr. Schiavone? Absolutely not. I just appreciate everyone listening to this podcast. Uh, Hopefully we are going to make it bigger and better. As the days and weeks go along, we've had a great time so far. Conrad, I love you. <laughs> uh, Bruce Pritchard going to sue me for that? Probably. Fuck him. We'll see you next week. Tony, it's that time. It's that time. Ladies and gentlemen, Mitzi Hyatt has to be helped out of the ring by Conrad Thompson. And she's being hoisted up on the ramp. Walking out, look at Missy. She can barely stand. She drops to her knees. She drops to her knees. I don't think she can get up. Oh, my God. Here comes Colonel Robert Parker. He is butt naked. What in the hell is that between his legs? 
Oh my God! Conrad is looking, his eyes are bugging out of his head. We gotta go! See you next week on WHW! What happened when? The rule of MLW Radio never stops.